Welcome to today's episode of Fire in the Belly. This is where we get to hear some pretty inspiring stories from some amazing people. You know, it's always an absolute pleasure to sit down, take time out, and have a warts and all conversation about their journey. I'm always intrigued by what it's taken for people to get to where they are today. And hopefully, in this interview, we get to hear some more about that. From this, my mission is to help people to find their own fire in their belly. And from that, to live the mightiest version of you. So without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy today's guest. Success is a process, not an event. Hello and welcome to the Fire in the Belly show. Today we have myself, Marty Pete, and we have the Bob D. Pasquale. Good afternoon to you. Pete, I am doing great. Thank you for the, the good wishes. How are you? Awesome. Listen, awesome. I'm, I'm delighted to have you on. I know you're going to come with energy and, and excitement, so I'm looking forward to this. It's going to be uh, fantastic. So, Bob, tell us, who are you? What do you do? And where are you from? Well, I'm Bob DePesquale. I live just outside of Fort Lauderdale, Florida in the United States. And what do I do? I do a lot. I, I think the most important thing, though, is I, I'm trying to make a positive impact in the world. Much of the work that I do in my professional world, I work in the financial industry and then also my host a podcast and I'm writing a book. And I really just want to encourage people to live out the gifts and skills that they have and use them for positive impact in the world. And I think we all have something to offer the world. And I, sometimes we can get caught up. Life is busy. Technology keeps us distracted these days. But in all reality, we've all been given something, some skills and gifts that we can use to help other people. And I want as many people as possible to know that. So uh, I was one of those people who didn't for a while there in my life, but now I feel like I do. I'm kind of in a little bit of a groove more recently, and it's great. I'm, I feel fulfilled. I feel energized, excited. So that's what I do. That's what I want to do, and that's what I hope other people can as well. Give us, give us the quick helicopter headline here. Is like, you know, how, how long has this shift happened from who you were to who you are today? Well, it's a journey. I'll tell you that. It's not something that happens overnight. I don't think anyone can really make major life changes in just a couple of days or hours or even years. I'd say more recently in the past 12 to 15 months since the pandemic started, I think I've been a little bit more enlightened on some things. So I'd say that's the short, that's about the shortest period of time I can give you, but it's really been working. Uh, my heart and mind have been working for since I was 18 and I have some stories about that, but really since I was 18. So it's been about 20 years really that that shift has been going on in my life. Which leads there, heart or mind? Which do you lead with? I'm more of a mind guy, to be honest with you. I'm learning to, I've learned to use my heart more. I don't think either one is more important than the other. I think we are naturally inclined as humans, though, to have a specific way to sway. And mine for many years was my mind. And I, and I believe the mind is a very, very powerful thing. Don't under, don't let me can, you know, confuse you on that. But it's where the mind takes you is often defined by what the heart feels and so you have to learn that you have to understand that well no it's um yeah there's um there's more there i know there is so break down for us if you would so you talk about positive impact what mm -hmm. first of all is positive and what is impact and, and why are the two so powerful together I, that's an interesting way of phrasing the question i think from if you look at the definition of positive um, it's simply the opposite of something negative. And, but from my perspective, I think positivity in the world is incorrectly measured. And sometimes our, our definition and our understanding of the concept 
uh, can be a little bit skewed and discouraging at times. Positivity is not blind. It's not something that you make up. It's, you know, I hear a lot of people out there talking about, you know, I just want to spread positivity. And I think that's tremendous. But what happens is sometimes people think, well, I can't be positive when something horrible happened in my life. And that, and that's absolutely true. I believe that. And so positivity to me is, uh, there's somewhat of a spectrum and there's, there's an opportunity that we have in many cases that we may not realize to, to offer positivity in certain situations, but it's not blind. It's not misunderstanding of, of, of reality. And so, you know, I heard someone tell me once that you may be able to change, you may not be able to change the entire world, but you can change the world for one. And I've always felt that. So when it comes to positivity and the, the positive impact movement, it's just doing things well for good reasons. Having good intentions doesn't mean that you have to create the world's biggest charitable organization that solved world hunger, or you have to send people to the moon. It just means that you did a really nice thing for someone one day. It could be a very, very small thing. You might be having a horrible day, but if you open the door for someone, when you're walking out of the fast food place to get dinner, that could be, that could change someone's life, could change the world. So that's positivity. And then impact, that simply means that you're making a difference. You can have negative impact. There's a lot of different ways to have impact. You could have intellectual impact. You could have financial impact. You can have emotional impact, spiritual impact. It's just making a difference. So when you combine the positivity with the impact, I think that's where the world becomes a better place. Is, is impact always outgoing, if that makes sense? Is it always no. something you do? Or can it be reversed or can it, you know, can yeah. it be an incoming? Yeah, I can tell you a great story about that, actually. So my wife and I have had an opportunity to be involved with an, uh, with an organization called Habitat for Humanity. And they do, they build homes. They do more than this, but their, their main purpose is that everyone on earth will eventually have adequate housing, which is quite a steep goal. And they've come a long way for the, for the years and decades that they've been around. But we've had an opportunity to travel to different countries uh, to serve with families that are that don't have adequate housing and i and i use the word with specifically because we're not just going there to build a home for them in fact i don't even have construction skills i'm, I'm basically the human cement mixer because i can't, i'm not laying brick or anything but we've gone we've done these trips before and the relationships that you develop with people it, uh, are amazing and it's certainly a two-way street so one of the communities that we went to a couple of years back they it was in mexico in an indigenous community and they don't even speak spanish in this community you would think that spanish is the language in mexico which, which it is for the most part but where we were they spoke their own uh dialect indigenous dialect and it was not a written dialect it was known as social and it was really interesting so we go down there and i i speak a little bit of spanish if you have any listen, listeners hablo un poquito espanol and so I speak a little bit of Spanish, so I can communicate, I can get around in a Spanish speaking country. But when we got to the build site where we were building and met the family, we found out that they didn't even speak Spanish. So it was a complete waste for me to even think that I would be helpful. And there was one gentleman that spoke Spanish and Sotzil. And I was one of the couple people that spoke English and Spanish. So in order to communicate with words, 
to the family, we had to translate from English to Spanish and then Spanish to some feeling back around. So the first day or so, it was pretty complicated. But I bring up the story because of this. Somewhere in the middle of the build, or maybe a little bit more towards the end, we had a pretty bad rainstorm in the middle of the day. And we couldn't, we had to stop building. So everyone was exhausted. It's very hot and humid in that area of the world. Uh, and some of us are pretty used to it here in South Florida, but in other places, other were northern places where people came from, they were pretty wiped. I mean, it was pretty hot and humid. It was tough. So taking this break was actually a good timing. It rained, it cooled off. They were able to get some water. Uh, and the rain probably lasted 15 minutes. And I was expecting everyone to kind of just be checked out. Like it's going to be really hard to get them to go back to work after taking this break. But believe it or not, they all jumped back in. As soon as the rain stopped, they couldn't wait to go back and start working again. And I was like, I was surprised. I, I looked at the gentleman who I, his name was Sebastian, the one that spoke so seal in Spanish. And I communicated with him. I said, you know, Sebastian, this is amazing. Like I'm, our group is really getting a lot out of this trip. I know that they're helping build this home, but they're also being impacted positively themselves. And he looked at me and, you know, we, we kind of agreed. And I said, can we tell the family? Can you help me articulate that to the family? And so there was a young lady. She was probably 15 or 16 years old. She was the main communicator with the family because she was, she was able to speak Spanish, whereas a lot of them could only speak Sotil. And we had this little meeting with the three of us, and he was trying to explain to her how much we loved doing that and doing the work that we were doing and how much we loved the family. And they went back and forth for a couple of minutes and I could tell there was some confusion. And I asked him, I was like, so what's going on? Like, can, can you just tell them that we love this? We love it. And he couldn't explain it to them. And he, he ended up telling me, he said, Bob, they do not have a word for love. And I was just blown away. I was like, how could you not have a word for love? That's such an important part of human interaction. And so he spoke with the, with the young lady once again, and he explained to me that there's no word for love in that language because love is expressed by, through action. You express your love for someone by serving them and by doing things for them. And so believe it or not, what we were doing was the highest form of love that you can possibly express in that culture. And the same back from them, the way that they provided food for us and helped us you know, stay cool and water and we could go anywhere we wanted, they would have given us the clothes off their back. And so you express love through action in that culture and it was just so moving. It was a very, very emotional moment when I explained this to our group a little, not too long after that. And it showed me, it proved me that impact is definitely a two-way street. I mean, it was more impactful for us as the people who went down there to volunteer than it was actually for them, I think. I mean, we got so much out of that. So absolutely, impact is a two-way street. And it's interesting, it even ties back to what we were saying at the very start, you know, the heart and the mind, you know, what you led with. Well, you know, you be of service to others and actually that is return back as love you know so one can be interchanged for the other too interesting right definitely it, it and i've learned this lesson you know in small ways over the years but that one specific specific incident really sticks out to me and how powerful that was and we've since gone back to that same community to work on another home and seen that family and it was i mean we didn't see them in a couple of years but it was almost like we had never left the bond is that strong it's really cool Oh, beautiful, beautiful. So tell us, what does fire in the belly mean to you? 
to me, it's excitement. I mean, when I look at the concept of your podcast, to me, I get really excited about this sort of thing. You know, I, I mentioned about learning how to kind of use the mind and the heart together. And, I, you know, I'm definitely contemplative. I definitely have thoughts. And some of the, my best moments in life are just when I first wake up in the morning or right before I go to bed and they're more calm. But when I think about fire in the belly, that just gets me super pumped to have conversations like this. And I, I, after telling the story that I just told you, I want to hop on a plane and go down to Mexico right now. I mean, it, it, it's so fulfilling and it's such a great rewarding feeling when you help other people find what they need and what they want. And so a fire in the belly is something that just motivates you to go take action. I mean, you cannot make progress without taking action. So why not do it? Just do it. If you have an idea, something that you want to do to make a positive impact in the world or a positive change in your life, you find something that's really important that you didn't realize before, chase it. You're never too old. It's never too late. Jump on it right now. Because if you don't, you're going to look back and you're going to say, you know what? I wish I would have taken that opportunity. And tell me, I mean, are you, do you believe you're, you are where you're supposed to be right now? Is this, is this, are you at the right stage in your life and the right place? Yeah, yes, I would say yes. Overwhelmingly, yes. Uh, in the past eight, 15, 12 or 15 months, like I was saying, definitely. However, I will tell you this. I think that fulfillment and the journey of life is truly a process. It's not a static. It's never static. If it ever gets static, I believe that something's wrong. And it's not a yes or no either. It's not yesterday. I wasn't excited. Today, I'm happy and I'm in the perfect place in my life. It just never feels like that. And I had an experience this past weekend that was about as close as you can get to that, but it still is just not actually that. And I, I can explain to you what I mean. So I have a cousin. I don't know if you're familiar, Pete, if you're familiar with the disease cystic fibrosis, but it's a respiratory, digestive, and it affects your reproductive system as well. It's a really, really challenging disease. And my cousin was diagnosed with it at three years old back in the early 90s. And so my uncle, who was totally blown away when they told him that his son had this horrible disease and he probably wouldn't live past maybe 10 or 12 years old, was just devastated. I'm sure they shed a lot of tears. It was a really, really hard time for them. So what they did is they decided to start a foundation. And so for the past 28 years, my uncle has been working tirelessly to raise awareness and funds and, and help out this small, relatively small pop part of the population. Well, in the past couple of years, a new drug called Trifacta came out and it really helps minimize a lot of the symptoms. And essentially my, my cousin's life has some, been somewhat changed and, and all this research. So he got married this past weekend. I was lucky enough to be able, I had the honor of officiating the wedding. So I was heavily involved, but it was the most emotional thing because my uncle and his wife and my aunt, the whole family was so overwhelmed that there was a time where they didn't think that he would even live past 10 or 12 years old. Now he's getting married. And then as a surprise, we, we knew, I, he told me the day before, but they made it a surprise announcement at the reception that they went through in vitro fertilization and his wife, who was his fiance at the time, but his wife now is pregnant. So between the pregnancy, between that and a whole, and a, and a bunch of other things, just, but, but in the instance of time, I won't go too deep into all that. Not that I don't want to, but essentially that was about as close as you can get as 
worrying about where you are in life to overnight, my uncle suddenly felt amazingly fulfilled. And I sat with him at the table at the reception. And I said, oh, I don't even know if you want me to talk right now. If you just want to cry it out, be emotional, <laughs> whatever you want to do, just tell me. And he said, I don't even know what to say. I feel so overwhelmed with joy that as of this moment that my, 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 my son is married and going to have a child, I had two wishes when he was diagnosed. One was that he would someday be able to grow up and have a, a son or a child of his own. And two, that he would outlive me. And now because of this drug, because of the marriage to his fiance and wife who, who, who gave him a new lease on life, I mean, she changed his life. He suddenly had something to live for. And now he's actually having a baby. That's about as close as you can get to overnight being a change. But then as funny as you say that, a couple minutes later in the, in the conversation, he looked at me and he said, you know, all of these things have changed. But if I'm being honest, I kind of have something else to worry about now because I want to make sure my grandson is healthy. <laughs> so, you know, you can go through these mountaintop experiences, but, but just about every situation, life is a journey and you're, it's not yes or no. So I've come through a lot of my life, but I know things are going to change. I feel like I'm in the right place right now, but who knows in a year or so that might need to be tweaked. It might need to be changed. It might not need to be changed tomorrow for all I know. But the fact is, if you have a good concept on what your skills and gifts are and what you really like to do, I feel like you have pretty good direction on how to make those turns and shifts as they happen. So to answer your question, I'm in the right place right now. Absolutely. I belong, I belong standing here in my studio talking to you on the Fire in the Belly podcast. Um, but things can change. Things absolutely can change. How important do you think it is to have a purpose? I mean, I suppose I'm thinking both from the speaking perspective, but also then you know, there's, you know, there's your cousin and it's that, you know, having a, a vision, a purpose, a, an overall goal, right? Yeah, I think purpose is vitally important. That's probably the number one thing that I'd like to talk about with people when I have these type of conversations. If you don't have a direction, if you don't have a purpose, it's very hard to find fulfillment. It's very hard to do things to make a positive impact in the world and make a positive impact in your own life, in your family's life, if you don't have a purpose. And so I always tell people, one of the best exercises I ever started doing, and I still do it to this day, is I wake up in the morning before I touch my phone, before I try to do it, before I go to the bathroom, before anything, check my email, even talk with my wife. The first thing I do is I, I count the blessings in my life and I consider why I, why I use them. And so the why, I ask myself why every morning. And when you're in a groove, it's usually the same answer to that question. And so it might only take you 30 seconds, but make sure you know why. And if you don't, that's okay too. That just means that you need to do some searching, which is why I think people like you and me have podcasts. And it's why we have these conversations because we really feel good when we help people find their why. And over the years, have you found that something, I mean, generally do people know their why? Do they find their why? And, and have you any sort of, hints and tips for people that are searching for it, say? Yes, I would say, I don't have, this is just anecdotal. I'd say less than half people, less than half the people actually have their why or understand it. I think, I think a large portion of people, it's not too far away. I don't want to make it seem like this is some 12, 15, 20 year journey to find your why. It's not that challenging to do it. Uh, but I would say most people have not taken the small little incremental steps that you need to do to get there because, you know, I don't know about you, but 
distractions are pretty easy in this world today. It's so easy to get, everything's on demand. Information is, is so easily readily available about anything. I'm touching on this in a book I'm writing right now about how technology affects how we make money decisions. And, but it applies across the board. Technology enables us to get information and comparison shop everything about our life with everyone else in the world. I can go on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, any of these platforms, and I can look up anything I want and I can see how, uh, you know, I'm using air quotes here, how it's supposed to look. And so what happens is that we have these preconceived notions about things. So it's really, really challenging to not get distracted. But if you can just isolate the, a little bit of time every day, like I said, even if it's 30 seconds in the morning, maybe five minutes, it's really not that challenging to find your why. So to answer your question, I don't think a lot of people have actually done that. So no, most people, I'd say 75% of people maybe don't actually know their why, but they're not that far from it. I'd say, I'd say the vast majority of that 75% with just a little bit of effort can have a better idea of why they're, why they're here. Well, I think that's so powerful and so true. And uh, like you say there, I mean, I would probably be of that sort of inclination. It's 20 to 25% of people are, the ones that actually find their why, mm-hmm. which is it's kind of it, it's it's kind of hard to stomach as well because you kind of go and that's that's not for me to judge, but at the same time it's you know you kind of think God there's work to be done here, right? Definitely, I know my my role I've learned is not to tell people the situation that they're in. Mm. I can observe. I'm here to be a helping hand to talk to people help them understand things, point out some things that maybe could have helped them, point out some mistakes that maybe I made along the way that can that they that they can avoid. But I am never the one to say, I know for a fact you don't know why or you do know why. That's not my role. It's ultimately your decision and you have to find that out. But with good positive relationships in your life, I think it's easier to do that. And and the good thing about technology, it's really easy to make relationships and connections these days so there's someone out there who relates to your situation it's everyone's got everyone has a community out there even if they don't even know it's interesting even as you were saying you know and even with you're saying with the foundation and helping everyone and speaking right i mean you, you never know what ripples you've set off in the universe you know and the impact that you can have on people you know sometimes you'll never know and I'm sure with the podcast, you'll hear that people saying, I listened to such and such and it changed my life. And that's awesome, right? That is. And I'm glad you brought this up because positive impact is not about recognition for sure. It's not about you knowing, like it's, it's not a, your bank statement where you get a report every month on how your investments did or how your budget was spent. Positive impact is more about a lifestyle and the journey that we were kind of talking about before. And there are going to be times where, you know, someone is going to reach out to you and say, you know, Pete, you changed my life by what you said on last week's episode. But there's going to be tens, hundreds, thousands of people that you may have touched, whether it's through the podcast or just like I mentioned earlier, just opening a door for someone or saying hello. Uh, I had someone, my wife and I were out for a run the other day. And we just greeted someone and said, hey, you know, good morning or whatever it was. And they're like, wow, you know, I really appreciate you greeting me this morning. Like no one ever does that. And it's just those little things. So you can't judge and count the impact that you're making. It just, it's more something that you just have to do and believe that you're doing the right thing and just trust. And 
there are some stories. I don't know if you, you may have heard some of these too, where someone like years later goes back to a teacher. Like for example, my wife's a kindergarten teacher. She had a student who just graduated high school. So you're talking, it's been a long time since she taught this young boy. And now he just graduated high school and he sent her a message and said, you know, here's the pandemic. You can't actually come to my graduation, but I would be honored, Mrs. DiBasquale, if you would watch my graduation on, on a web conference, because if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't have made it this far in my life. So like over, well over a decade later, it, it, it took that amount of time for her to realize how she, she actually impacted his life. So you may never hear from somebody, but you got to trust that, that lifestyle, that mindset that you are doing good work. What's, what's your genius then, Bob? I mean, what's, what do you, what do you, um, what impact are you having and what are you doing to serve? Well, I, I mentioned the, those habitat trips, that, that's one thing. And that, that's a, that's a big thing, I, I guess is the right word. Uh, that's, that's something that's pretty easily recognizable. When we go to another country. Um, but I, we have speaking of impact podcast, we have the e-impact blog. So the podcast is more about speaking with people who are doing things that they love and making a positive impact. So it's a very similar to your show in a conversational format. We wanna highlight people who are doing great things, who, who love to talk about it. The e-impact blog is also pretty story-based. Uh, it's a weekly writings that we have that we talk about different ways. And we, we, we give stories because we wanna make it tangible and understandable for people but we also give actionable steps that you can take to help you be a positive impact leader. So that's the impact blog. And then really uh, I, I'm, I'm writing this book as well. So there's just a lot of things, a lot of ways to live it out, right? And those things are aside from my, my I guess you could call it my professional life, but I also think it kind of seeps into that world as well. My, my business partner and I founded an organization called Initiate Impact and it's, we spent, I spent 12 years, her 15 in, in, in the industry. So we have a combined 27 years of experience. And we realized when working with families, their lifestyle and their finances, the best work that we do is with, pur is with purpose-driven families that are trying to make some type of positive impact. So I live that every day in, a, in my professional world already. And, and, there's, and there's a lot of technical aspects to that work, you know, number crunching and making sure we're following the rules and taxation and those sort of things. But I generally, I generally consider that positive impact work because we're helping families do what they wanna do and execute their mission. So you ask the question to give your answer. I do a little bit of technical work with positive impact, but I do a lot of emotional and, um, and communication skills. I actually have a master's degree in broadcast journalism <laughs> that I didn't use for 12 years in my previous career. And it, it's, it's, I'm really living it out more recently. So it's been great. So it's really honestly just spreading that message. And I want as many people to know about it as possible because it's enjoyable. It's fun for me. And, I, and for me, I am fulfilled when other people are finding those ways to make a positive impact. I kind of come back to, I mean, it's heart and head here, isn't it? Almost like you're, you're, you know, your head is, is crunching the numbers and keeping people right, but your your heart then serves emotionally, as you say, through the impact, through the, the podcast and through being of service to others, you know, and it gives you those opportunities. It's, I mean, it's the two coming to play together. It's beautiful. They do. And it took me a while to realize that. I used to think that the technical side of a family's financial life and those sort of things were just robotic. 
And it's so untrue. It's really, it's, I don't know what I was, and it was, I can't blame it on my former employer either. It was kind of just my personality and my mindset. You know, it's <clears throat> to me, it's simple. You spend less money than you make and you save some of it. And then you're charitable with some of it and you help other people. And that's true, but it's not that simple. Financial aspects in, in a family's life are very, very emotional as well. And that's where the heart comes in. And it's the same concept with the positive impact space. There might be an organization that I can donate some money to or volunteer with like Habitat for Humanity that to me, it's life-changing. To me, it, it's, it's super moving to go to another country and support a family like that or just to give that organization money. We're financial donors to them as well. For someone else, that may not resonate with them. doesn't mean that, that, that Habitat for Humanity is a bad organization or that they believe that that co company shouldn't exist. It just means that it doesn't resonate well with them. So it's really important to connect the heart and the mind. And I know a lot of people in other professions. I know people in the medical field. I know people who are scientists. I know someone, one of the most charitable, nicest people I know positive impact driven person is uh, is in technology and he works for a huge technology firm. And what's really interesting is he's about as brainy, if that's the right word, uh, as, as it comes. I mean, he could talk about electrodes and nodes and computers like well over all of our heads. But when he connects that to the heart aspect of it, it's, it's truly amazing. So really to kind of circle back to what you're saying, the technical, the mind and the, and the heart really do work together. If you can make that connection, and there's some people that just haven't made that connection yet, but that's why we're here. We wanna help as many people do that as possible. Talk to me about the, the podcast. How did it come about and, and what's, your, what's your vision and your mission for it? I wanted to start a podcast for five and a half years. And my, that's a long time. My, my former employer, like I said, uh, cordial split when we left them earlier this year, so no criticism of them, but for compliance and regulatory reasons, they just didn't want me to do any type of digital marketing, if you will. So for many years, I kept asking them, hey, can I, can I, can I get an update? Is it possible yet? No, 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 no. It was always no. Then the pandemic hit, and so the coronavirus, I would never wish this pandemic on the world or anyone else ever again. But however, one good thing that came out of it, at least in my life, was that my employer wrote me back eventually and said, all right, Bob, we're going to let you start a podcast. And I celebrated. You can ask my wife. I think I screamed at the top of my lungs. And she was home at the time. I looked at this email in the evening. She was home from school that day. I, you know, she was a teacher. And I said, I was like, hallelujah, I, I can, I'm starting a podcast. <laughs> I didn't know where to start. I didn't even know what I was going to do, but I was going to start a podcast. Well, then I got an email from them like the next day or something. And they said, okay, so you're going to start this podcast, but on one condition, you're not allowed to say anything about money. And I was like, well, wait a minute, you hired me to talk about money. And the part of the reason why I want to do this podcast is so I can help educate people on that subject because I really want them to make wise decisions with money. And it's a, it's a hard thing to do these days. And then I thought about it, couple, maybe a night or two, I slept on it. And then it occurred to me, you know what? I actually don't want to do a podcast that's just about money. In fact, there's hundreds of podcasts about money. And frankly, most of them are pretty boring. And money's not a great subject to just talk about. It, it, you know, in, in podcasts, monologue type of format. So 
I thought about it a little bit more deeply. And I said, you know what, I really, I want to do a podcast about positive impact in the world. And so with a little bit of brainstorming, I came up with the title, Speaking of Impact, because we want to talk about positive impact. And so that's where it was born. And we recorded 60, maybe 70 episodes now. We're about a year in uh, from, from start. We, we, every Thursday it comes out and we talk with nonprofit leaders, business people, uh, a lot of athletes. I have an athletic background, so I love talking with athletes about how they use their platform for positive impact. So we've got a handful of those on there. And we tackle you know, any subject you can think of that's relevant in the world today and how to make a difference. And so it's really been an amazing experience, Pete. As you can tell, I, my eyes lit up when you asked me the question to talk about the podcast. It's really, it kind of went from being a little bit of a passion project, something that I just really wanted to do for some joy into a real movement. And now we have the, you know, we call it the impact maker movement. So it's a really cool experience. So, you know, we want as many people to jump on board as possible. So appreciate you asking and it's, it's going really well. What have you learned from it? Oh man, I have a whole, oh gosh, I have a document for every episode. So every, every episode that we record, I write an intro and an outro to, you know, just some general stuff. But I always listen back to the episode every Thursday once it comes out, like a fan. I'm, I'm, I'm the biggest fan of Speaking of Impact. Um, and so I listen to it on Thursday morning. It's part of my Thursday morning routine after I have my little gratitude time that I mentioned earlier. I listen to the episode and then I write a Twitter thread about the episode. So if you catch me on Twitter, you'll see every Thursday I send out this, this thread of the finer points of, of the episode. And so I've learned, I have documents for every single one. So at this point I have over 50 uh, documents that explain all the things that I've read. So there's not enough time to go into all the finer details, but I think the broadest based message that I've learned is all, you can learn something from anyone, right? I, I mean, I think the, the concept from the show originally was to provide a platform for these people and to spread the positive message. But to be honest with you, I've learned so much from talking to all these interesting people and having conversations just like this with people like you, Pete, it's so educational. So I really learned that everyone's got something to share. That's probably the main lesson. And what, what have you found? I mean, because as hosts, we have a sort of a question set, whether formalized or casual, but is there certain questions that you find are, are game changers, if you like, are very um, telling? There's two questions that I kind of weave into every episode. Outside of that, I don't have a script. But the first one is why. We kind of talked about the why before. So all of these people that we have on the show, just about all of them have, have, a, have a really strong why. And I want our listeners to understand that. So somewhere in the early portion of the episode, I'll definitely ask them why they do what they do. And, and from there, we usually dovetail into all kinds of more details and the story behind it all. Because I really want it to be, I, I want people to be able to feel why it's happening. And I mentioned earlier that we try to provide some actionable steps in the blog. We also try to do that on the show as well because we want a good mix between the why and the what, similar to the heart and the mind type of stuff. And then the other question that I usually ask people, you kind of alluded to it, uh, asking me what it is as well, is what is the vision? Like, what's the future look like? Where is, so as the positive impact continues to happen with whatever project or organization you're involved in, where does it go from here? What do you see happening next? 
And I see that, and there's really two main reasons why I ask that question. One is because it, it's just interesting to see what their vision, like a lot of times it's a very aggressive goal, which is great. I think those are super important. Like for example, one guy, he told me, our, my vision is that we're going to impact a billion lives. And I was like, Brian, a billion lives. I mean, that's, that's pretty hard, man. Like, <laughs> I tell you what, this podcast that I'm interviewing on is not going to reach a billion people anytime. <laughs> so I wish we had a billion downloads, but, and he's like, no, Bob, you don't understand. It's all about the incremental and exponential growth that happens as we spread. So Bob, I'm going to speak with you and there's going to be a couple hundred thousand people that are going to hear the message from speaking of impact. And then I'm going to go on another podcast. And there's going to be a couple more hundred thousand. And then each of those people are going to tell their friends and then it's going to grow and grow and grow. So that's the first reason why I asked that question. And then the second one is I want them to be able to, I want people to be able to, to help. So if, if you could understand the vision of an organization, going back to the why, I think it's all kind of tied in. It's much easier to be of assistance and for you to identify which organizations you can help and also for that organization to have a clear message. So if I know what the leader of that organization's vision is, that's going to make it super easy for them to find additional volunteers and help. It's almost like a, I'm just thinking about that with a billion people. I mean, what do we talk about? We talk about six degrees of separation, right? We're all connected through six degrees. Well, to get to a billion people is maybe only five degrees of separation or five degrees of impact. If you like, I don't know, I'm, <laughs> I can't do the math, but I would, I would assume that's the ripple effect, isn't it? It's that compounding. It's the continuously serving, you know, getting your message out there. I mean, I, exactly. And I would imagine if you're out there listening, you know, whether you're working out, you're on your way to work or you're cooking, whatever you're doing while you're listening to this show, you're going to be able to share whatever it is that we talk about with other people. And I'm sure other episodes that, that Pete has been sharing information. I know that you're, if you're listening right now, you've told someone about it in your life. I mean, when I listen to a great podcast episode, it's usually my wife. It's just the two of us. We don't have any children. Uh, so she probably gets sick of me talking about it, but I'm constantly telling her, honey, I listened to this amazing podcast episode today. We, I learned this. So immediately that's one degree of separation. And then she'll probably go tell people. And then I've even had people say, hey, Bob, you know, Trisha, that's my wife's name. Trisha told me about this podcast that you told her about. So I know it's working. There are, you're, when I tell her, she's definitely telling other people. So it works. It's, it's powerful. Oh, totally. It's, it's, yeah, I, I like that. And come here, you, you talk briefly about goal setting there. And, you know, you're saying with a lot of your guests, they talk about the goal and, you know, the purpose, the why, things like that. Is, is goal setting, is that, is that a big thing for you or, or what way do you set? Yes, but I think I look at it a little bit differently than maybe goal setting has become. I think the most driven people in society, if you go back and do research in historical times, if you go back to those times, what you find is the most driven people set goals. They had a purpose. They had, they had something that they were reaching for, whether they were written down or they were, you know, on papyrus, <laughs> whatever was available to, to write, to record information back then, they had goals. Now you fast forward all the way to the 21st century here, and I guess in the past 15, 20 years, goal setting has become this formalized process. I don't know if you're familiar with SMART goals. That's a big, uh, you know, concept out there and goal setting tool. And I'll say this, I don't think there's anything wrong with the tools to help you set goals. I will say, but what I will say though, is that I think goal setting is a very 
very personal process. There's no specific way to do it. There's no, yes, a goal should be actionable. It should be relative. So you're saying now with the podcast and, and, you know, getting that, that purpose and, and the why out there. I mean, that's, you know, it's going to be so powerful for people to have that. And, and you talk then about visualization. Is, is visualization a big thing for you as well then? Is, you know, how you visualize and see the future? Yes, I, I'm definitely a visual person, literally picturing things in my mind. And for some people that may not be the, that their way of doing it, but either way, you're evaluating what you believe can happen and should happen in the future. And when you talk about goal setting, that's really what that is. And everyone's, everyone's way of doing it is different. So it, it, yes, it is important to have a vision of where you wanna go. Imagine being a, a boat with no direction, right? Floating out on the sea. If you don't know where you can go a hundred knots, but if you're not going in the right direction, <laughs> it's not gonna be very helpful. You gotta have a vision, you gotta know where you're going. Tell me then with the podcast and, and the, the blog which came first podcast or blog and and why both of those well the the podcast i'm i'm trained in the art of of radio television broadcasting i i, I have written a little bit for i actually had an article published in the miami herald down here but i'm more trained in the in the art of talking if you will so that the idea came first but really speaking of impact and the e-impact blog really came out at the exact same time so um I think there were a couple of blog entries up beforehand because it takes a while to edit the podcast and get it out. But really, the whole impact movement started right at the same time. Part part of that, I suppose, and even just sort of breaking the title apart, and how how important is the speaking part of it? Because I mean, you can have a great story, right, and not be able to tell it not not necessarily not tell it well, but hard to communicate that across to people, and it just doesn't land the same, right? I think speaking is is one of the many ways. I think it's not absolutely necessary for everyone. Some people have a really successful newsletter, and that's the way that they get their message out. Um, you know, we I send out a, a weekly newsletter as well to kind of recap the podcast and in the blog. So we have that. Well, I wouldn't call that our bread and butter, though. I, the bread and butter is is more me presenting and speaking. I mean, that's what our organization does the best. So to answer your question, for some people it's vital. If I, if I didn't speak, then I don't think the movement would be where it is right now. But that, I, I don't wanna make it seem like everyone has to be the greatest presenter or, or greatest podcast host or guest. Yeah, not, not saying that I am, I have a long way to go, believe me. Um, but for us, it's really important. I think, I think really, and I've heard this in many ways in different businesses and different organizations, you really got to master one thing first, make sure you're really, really good at it. So the quality is high and it's effective before you start expanding. So if you're more of a social media person, make sure your Instagram page is on point before you start tackling Twitter and LinkedIn and TikTok, right? You want to make sure something's really good. So you kind of have a home base to direct people to, to really understand who you are and what you're about before you start growing. So same concept for speaking and writing and podcasting. Where, where's your natural habitat, Bob? Where, where do we find you in your, your best and ultimate place? Well, I live in South Florida for a reason because of the weather down here. Uh, so if you call it physical, environmental habitat, I love warm weather. Uh, I love, I like to sweat, believe it or not. I love exercising in warm weather. And 
So that's that's from that perspective. But when it comes to kind of an emotional and, and, and spiritual place, I think I think for me it's it's having great relationships around me. I'm really about numbers, people, faith in numbers, experience in numbers. I, I like to have my alone time. I was an only child, so I grew up in a pretty empty household with me and my two parents. But I really get my energy and my most. I'm in the best place, the best environment is when I'm working with people, whether that's in my professional life, in my, I mentioned in my spiritual life, you know, I want to have people around me because I get energy from other people, right? So I, I've done some podcast episodes that are just solo and some people are like, oh, you did a great job. Like the first ever episode of Speaking of Impact is basically the foundation of why the whole concept exists in my story. So if you want to listen to that, I probably did fine. But ultimately, I would much rather have a conversation with multiple people or you, at least one other person, right? So um, my, my happy place, if you will, is working alongside other people and whatever it is. It doesn't have to be a world life-changing thing. You know, like I'm totally fine taking some off. We had a guy on our show once by the name of Wade Galt, and he was this really smart guy. And he talks about how important off time is. You can't be a million miles an hour working. Like even if I want to make a positive impact every moment of the day, I need to take a break once in a while. But even when I'm taking a break, I would much rather be taking a break with, with some buddies, right? Watching some sports on television or doing something outside, playing sports, who knows? But my happy place, my perfect zone is interacting positive relationships. How do you try to be impactful do you have you know what do you have sort of a, a mantra or an ethos in which you sort of work to to be impactful to others well i we talked about purpose and why and identifying those things that you're really good at so i know what my skill set is i think i have a very limited skill set but i'm pretty effective at some of those things so i love to motivate i love to talk and speak and analyze things and share ideas and so I try to concentrate on those things every day, do as much as I can of those. Now, owning a business and doing some of the other things in life, you know, it, you can't always be in the perfect zone, right? So once in a while, I have to do some invoicing or once in a while, I have to check emails. Once in a while, I have to vacuum around the house. So I'm not always doing those things, but I think communication skills are really my most effective thing. So that's why podcasting and even writing the blog and I'm very active on Twitter talking about this sort of stuff. And, and so that's where I'm best when I'm communicating with people. You know, I love taking a good message and sharing it and try, figuring out a way to articulate a, a positive message so that different people can understand. Because I can, you know, there's going to be some stories that you might be listening to on this episode right now that resonate with you that don't, that are pretty good stories, but they don't resonate with someone else. So what I like to do, and there's not enough time on any one podcast for me to tell the same story three different ways. However, when you're in life, I've used the same stories and examples in different scenarios to affect different people. So that's probably what I'm best at, figuring out a way to communicate positive messages to different people. Uh, and do you, do you think people get you? Do Like understand me? Yeah. Um, I don't know. You got to ask my wife that I think <laughs> I I'd say I'm a pretty strange guy I, in, in a good way. I think I, 
speaking of social media and, and LinkedIn specifically, there's a guy that I know by the name of Dennis Mosby Williams, really, really nice guy, well-known presenter in the financial world. And he talks about this thing about being weird, uh, about niching down your audience. And he says, niche, niche, weird. And then he posted on LinkedIn the other day, actually, about it's important to be a little weird in an industry so that you people, so that you resonate with certain people. So do I think people get me? Uh, I, I like to think so. You know, I, it, it's important to be yourself though, right? So there's probably a lot of people that don't get me, but that's okay. I, I don't expect everyone to get me. I want that niche group of people that are as passionate and fired up as I am about this positive impact concept. I want, I want to jump on board and communicate with those people. Everyone else would more be more than happy to communicate with them. I love them, and I think they're 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 humans who deserve dignity and grace and all the things that the rest of us deserve. That doesn't mean that we have to hang out all the time, though. And so that's totally fine. So to answer your question, I think people, I think the right people get me. Yeah, I, I would say that. Yeah, so it's always interesting. You know, some people say yeah, and some people say nobody gets me. So it's it's always interesting to see where where we we think we land in the world. You know, the as you say, not that it really matters as such. You know, but tell me this: what what was Bob's original plan? What was he going to do when he grew up? Well, I went to undergraduate school, and I wanted to study broadcasting, and. I got a whole other story about my experience playing sports in college and, and, and what happened. I mean, wouldn't have to talk about it, but specifically to answer this question, I was unable to continue with my major because it's a long story between my coaches and the professors. And the, they, they didn't want to let me continue with that major. My, I, had eight, I had straight A's and they wouldn't let me continue. It's a long story, uh, but because of our schedule, I had to miss classes and stuff because of away games and traveling for, for football. So ultimately, I switched my major to speech communication and rhetorical studies, and I picked up a minor in psychology my, the last semester of my senior year. So I studied those in undergraduate school with the intention of still finding a job somewhere in broadcasting if I wasn't going to be a professional athlete. And like I think a lot of people want to be when they're growing up. Well, I ended up going to graduate school at the University of Miami, not too far from where I grew up, and actually studying broadcast journalism. So I have a master's degree in broadcast journalism and I worked in sports radio for a couple of years. So I thought, honestly, if I wasn't gonna be playing sports, I'd be talking about it for, for a living. So that was my original plan before I got recruited into the financial industry. And then I told you I worked there for 12 years and I still do now, but now I own, we own our own firm and I have a little bit different way of doing business. Isn't it interesting? I mean, but broadcast has been, you know, broadcasting, communicating has been a, a very common theme throughout here, right? Mm -hmm. You know, so pretty... I'm using it. I, I'm learning how to use what I originally thought was going to be my profession in a different world. And it's really been a great experience, honestly. And so that that I, I have been trained. I mean, I, I spent hours sitting in front of microphones and cameras and communicating with people, whether it was my own message or some other message that the local reporter fed me. <laughs> so yeah, I think you're right. You, you make a great observation. It took me 12 years to figure that out. It took you about 45 minutes <laughs> <laughs> it's always and where does it come from i mean why broadcasting is it in the family is it a keen interest or well my, so my uncle does my uncle i talked about with the before um 
he he's a broadcaster, but he was an athlete before that, so he does he wasn't originally. I don't think that was his idea either. So I don't think that's where I got it. I think that's part of the reason why it's in the family. But I think my original reason for wanting to get into broadcasting is I just I always I always like to communicate with people and I like to analyze things. And so whether it was I never really liked fiction, re reading or television or sitcoms or movies. Like so, here's a weird thing. Most people think I'm crazy. I I despise going to the movies. Like I can't sit still for two hours and watch something that didn't actually happen. Like I, to me, to me, it's not exciting. This is no criticism of anyone who likes that form of entertainment because once again, taking time off is important. So don't, don't take this the wrong way. It's just not for me. However, if it comes to something that's real and happening, I want to talk about it. Uh, specifically sports growing up, but it could be history. It could be, you know, I hate to say this, but I'm starting to get into politics a little bit too, but whatever it might be, real things that are actually happening. I love talking about it. And so I always thought that people who were either on the news or were announcers for sporting events, I always really thought they have an immense talent to be able to communicate what's happening live in a very, very short period of time. It's not like now shows are a little bit different these days. They have these debate related shows that could go on for an hour. But when I was growing up and you were the announcer of a football game or a baseball game or any sport, uh, you know, who knows, basketball, you had 10 seconds in between plays, not even. If you're announcing a sport like, like soccer, not American football, but football or hockey or basketball, that's nonstop action. You don't even have any, you don't have any time to display a message. So I think those people are very, very talented. So I was always drawn to that. It's almost it is as you say it's it's very much on the hoof as well and I think it was probably slightly unglamorous I mean it's become more glamorous as as you know life's moved on it used to be just this voice <laughs> it's like this yeah. narrator in your head but it's this voice that you're watching the picture of whatever sport it is and you hear this voice mm -hmm. but now you sometimes see them right so it's not always glamorous is it you know it's but yet it's a, it's as you say a superb talent. No, and I'm biased, but I'll be honest with you. It's a very, very hard thing to do to to announce a sporting event when you have your producer in your ear talking to you, telling you to do stuff. Then you're then you're speaking yourself, plus you're looking down at the field trying to identify all the players, and you can barely read their name or their number on the back of their shirt. So that's just the play-by-play -play person. The color analyst has I don't know if it's a tougher job, but it's a little bit different job. They have to analyze what just happened and they have to be able to process it in their heads in seconds and spit it back out to the audience who doesn't understand the game as well as they do. Um, you know, if, if you're if you're a fan of, fan of a specific sport, you probably know a little bit about it. But I'm going to venture a guess that unless you played or unless you're actually involved in it professionally, you have not spent the hours upon hours of film study and watching and practice live that these people do. So you got to take all of this knowledge and then you got to translate it in two sentences to someone who's not as knowledgeable on the subject. That's really, really hard. Could you imagine your doctor trying to translate your, I mean, I, I've been having some, some digestive issues. My esophagus is not to get too graphic, but my esophagus doesn't really work too well. <laughs> so I couldn't imagine my doctor trying to explain all of that to me in two sentences and not being, and then we have to move on to the next body part. Like I, we literally sat there and had a conversation for an hour about this. <laughs> I had to ask him questions and go back and forth. 
Whereas this, you know, the the play-by-play -play or color analyst on the sporting events got a couple seconds. That's it. Move on next. And they get, you know, and there's hundred, there's millions of people watching, and advertisers paying millions of dollars, so you better get it right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would just struggle not to be swearing under my breath or something. You know, it's like right. you'd lose all the sponsors in the first episode with me. You know, it's like <laughs> yeah, it's like yeah, it's trying to trying to do two things at once. Like yeah, no, yeah. That's, that's just not going to happen for me. It's uh, you know, but but interesting, even the way you put that is, you know, as you say, it's it's taking if you're knowledgeable about something. And then being able to communicate that to somebody else, not only just factually, but also uh, relatively, so that it, it's, it makes sense for them and also then bring it with energy too. And, and again, I kind of come back to you, even your podcast, it's that sort of one is speaking so that actually other people can understand you and communicating. And the other thing is, is landing it with energy with, you know, something is relatable as well. And that's, that is a skill. That's, that's a massive skill, you know, storytelling or, you know, communicating with power, I suppose. Yes. And it comes with practice. I think just like anything, there's just, just about everything in this world, in my opinion, can be improved via practice. Hmm. And communication skills is absolutely one of those. I mean, I'm, I'm living proof. Uh, even in the past year, since the Speaking of Impact podcast is out, I mean, I, I professionally trained in the art, but I was rusty. I needed a practice and here I am a year later, I feel like I'm, I'm, I've improved. So whatever it is that you do, what, whatever's important to you, if you, if you want to be better at it, you just got to do it. You just got to practice. Yeah, absolutely. What are you capable of, Bob? Man, like you want a hidden talent? <laughs> well, or, first of all, is, do you know, do you know your, do you know all your skills yet? Have you come across them or? Yeah. I, like I said, I think I have a pretty limited skill set, but I am capable of inspiring people to do better. I think that's really, it's a, it's a passion of mine. I met many of the people close to me in my life, I feel like come to me often when they have something that they want to do better. And it just kind of occurred to me over the years. It's similar to the work that we do in, in the financial space. We, we had families come to us and say, hey, you know, this is a goal of ours. We really want to reach this point in our life. And it was our job to help them do that and show them that they can. And, and also be honest, in some cases, I feel like sometimes maybe people's expectations were, were unrealistic. But for the most part, uh, that's what I'm capable of, communicating with people well and helping them find the things that they need to motivate them uh, to accomplish their goals. That's, that's primary. You know, as far as just life, you know, I have, you know, I, I, I played sports, so I like to think I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, still somewhat athletic and I like to exercise and, and that's good for me. That's healthy. I, I started playing the drums a couple of years ago, actually, believe it or not. I have no musical talent whatsoever. I couldn't hit, I couldn't sing a note to save my life or read music, but I have a little bit of rhythm. I guess it's in the family. I don't know. So I was like, well, you know what? I'm kind of at a point in my life where I want to learn something new. I, you know, I, I think it's always important to be learning something. and I found an electronic drum set so, so I don't annoy my neighbors and my wife too much. <laughs> I can turn the volume down or wear headphones if I need to. And I can play and I can practice the drums. And so that's a, that's a little bit of a skill. And believe it or not, that's opened up some impact doors too because it opens up conversations with people. And, and it, funny enough, that a community that we went to visit to build a home that I was talking about earlier, they actually had a drum set. <laughs> In the build in the church across the little dirt road from where they lived, 
and I actually started a pretty cool conversation with some of the locals about the drums. So anyway, you never know. But those are some of the like the things that I do for fun that I have a little bit of skill at too. But really, my wheelhouse, as you can tell, is speaking and communicating. Again, but I mean, even there's drums. It's a form of communication, right? Doesn't the language is is immaterial and and i know for me with with the fire in the belly it's like it's non-geographic it's you know it doesn't matter about gender age anything right you know it's like you've got what you've got and you know let's hear about your passion you know i think that's that's the beautiful thing right totally i i love hearing about people's passion and you know we and specifically i like to talk about communication and that not necessarily speaking like believe me i love to address crowds. I love public speaking. Some people say that that's like a bigger fear than death. Uh, that's not my gene. Um, so don't get me wrong. I, I love that. But I think listening is actually even more powerful and more interesting. And, and so when you combine speaking and listening, you, 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 find, you get communication. And so I think that's really the most important part. That, that's really the key is the communication aspect. It takes, it's right now you and I are communicating if it was just me recording my voice it would just be me speaking right so i think the communication aspect is really what sets it apart absolutely who, who inspires you who's who's a bit of a go-to for you or or someone that's made a bit of a different or an impact in your life well there's there, there's a few people that that i can think of when i when i talk about just being a just genuinely good person in the world which i think is foundational for anyone it's my father i always remember growing up you know he was a he worked in supermarkets for the vast majority of his life and whether he was when he was very very young just bagging groceries or checking people out all the way up to managing the grocery section of an entire store i always remember him being courteous to people the people that worked for him the people that he worked for and the customers. I mean, we would go into the store if I, if, if I had the day off of school or he would work on Saturdays, occasionally I would go into the stores he worked at. He was always talking with people and they always would compliment me. Like, oh, your dad is the nicest guy. He's the greatest boss, he's the nicest boss I've ever had. Or he's the greatest employee that's ever worked for me. I, oh, he always makes me happy. And I had one lady once come up to me once and said, you know what? I come into the store every week. Yeah, because I need some groceries, but really I just want to talk to your dad. So I always look up to my dad for that. And his attention to detail when it comes to that sort of thing was so important. I mean, we would walk through the aisles of these of the store and picture like, I don't know, maybe a jar of jelly that's not someone touched or picked up and put back and the label wasn't facing perfectly forward. We would stop and he would you know, this is my dad now, the manager of the store, right? But just stopping and twisting the, the jar ever so slightly because he knows that the customer walks, walks by is going to have a much better experience shopping in the store if all the labels are facing the right way. So when it comes to that life lesson type of thing, my dad, absolutely. And then there's, a, then there's other people in my life that, that I don't know that have that are been inspiring to me. There's, there's you know, leaders... Um, historical leaders in the world that that did things that were bold and daring, but they ended up getting things done. Um, former presidents. Uh, I mentioned I'm really into the sports world. Uh, I, I hate the New England Patriots, but Tom Brady, oh, I always admired his work ethic and the way that 
He wanted to be a champion and pull out all the stops um, to do that, but yet was still a flawed guy. You know, he got in trouble a couple times. Um, he threw interceptions, he made mistakes, but he always came back uh, and tried, owned what he did and tried to make it happen. That's a good one. Then um, we've been talking about the financial space and a little bit about psychology. There's a, there's a gentleman by the name of Morgan Housel who wrote a book called Psychology of Money. If you're ever looking, if that's interesting to you, those subjects, psychology and money, I would highly recommend his book. So I look up to him for, for writing a text like that because it's really, he looks well beyond going back to the mind and the heart type of thing. He looks well beyond the technical aspects of investing and budgeting and really into the emotional, psychological aspects of it. So I admire him and look up to him for that. So those are just a few examples, but I could, I mean, I could go on for, for days. I think it's really important to have role models in your life and in specific areas. Uh, I don't want to Chris criticize anyone who has one mentor or person that they look up to for everything, mm. uh, but that just hasn't worked in my life. Uh, what's been helpful for me is to find different people in different areas. That's why I identified my dad for his general people skills and identified um, Tom Brady for his work ethic and I identified Morgan Housel for his ability to, to combine psychology and financial, finances. So you got to have different people in different areas, or at least I have. It's important to have to have a good mix, you know, because we're all human. I, I believe we're all flawed and um, different and we all have problems. And so we can't be perfect at everything. Mm, no, it's, it's yeah, we, we all have, we're certainly different. That's the, the beauty of it. Mm -hmm. Have you, are you clear on how you learn? Do, do you know, you know, what your best method of learning is? Experiential learning by far. I mean, I can read a book. I love listening to podcasts, but nothing teaches me better than just doing. I'm very, very action oriented. So, uh, you know, my mom tells a story about, you know, when I was younger that I used to love Legos and she would get me Legos all the time. And would I read the directions or no, I would just dive right in and start building. And that's the way I learned how to pick up on things. Um, I was, I was the type of student that I'd be, We'd be going over a unit in class, and I'd be three pages ahead because I just, I was sick of reading about it. I just want to do it already. So I'm not saying that that's right for everyone. I'm sure some of my teachers weren't too happy with me over the years, but uh, I just like to dive in within reason. I mean, you got to make educational uh, risk-assessed guesses at times, but you don't want to put yourself in harm's way. But I think it's best to just do. You know, if you want to learn how to, my mom recently retired and took took up gardening. And she's like, well, I want to figure out how to learn how to garden, you know, just watch a couple of YouTube videos, read some stuff. But she told me, you know what, nothing was more helpful than just going to plant stuff in the ground. So just do, and that's how you learn. Hmm. Yeah, that's sort of, as you say, that's sort of immersive behavior and it allows you to, to find out where you're at. I mean, do you, do, you, do you feel this is your calling? Is this something you're going to be doing the rest of your life? I plan on it. I think. I would love for our, our firm that we founded to grow into a, um, I don't know what the word is. I don't know if I want to say a brand, but I think I want our process to be more known in the industry. Uh, I want our, you know, our process is very, process is very purpose driven. So yes, yeah, so I see myself doing that and leading that organization for quite some time now. Um, I don't see that changing. And I also see the podcast and the impact movement in my speaking and, Communication, I, I want to, I love it. It's where I find fulfillment. So yes, absolutely. I want to continue to do it for a while. I, I, I never thought I would be 
a great author, you know, of a nonfiction book, but um, I'm I'm finding that I'm enjoying that process too. So we'll see this this book, uh, the pre-sale campaign starts here pretty soon. It publishes in December here in 2021. We'll see how that goes. Maybe maybe I will. I, I'm not committing to writing any more books, but that could be part of the process too. So to answer your question, yeah, I mean, most of what I'm doing now, I see myself doing for quite some time. Hmm. I, I mean, the, the book, I mean, it's probably, it sounds like it's a natural step for you anyway, to, to get the book out there and, and really it's another, another method of communication, right? Yes. And it's interesting as you get better and more comfortable with things. I think we were talking about earlier about getting good at one thing first before you start jumping into others. And I think I was comfortable starting to write because I had ideas that maybe I could write a book someday, but I never thought I was ready. But once I realized that the blog and the podcast were starting to gain some momentum, I felt like I was good enough at those where I could pick up something else. So you're absolutely right. It's just another method of communication. And I was bound to get there eventually. It's, even if you would ask me five years ago, I would have told you, starting a podcast, I will never write a book. But, but you're pretty wise because you're right. It was a natural progression. Eventually, I was going to get there. Mm. I mean, what comes across is, you know, I was trying, I was trying to pin it down there. I mean, it's, it's almost like you're, you're a master facilitator, it seems. Does that make, is that a fair statement, do you think? I'll take it. I like it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, deny that. I like to facilitate learning and, and experiences for people, for sure. Definitely. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I, I never used to think of myself as the most creative person. And, but I'm learning more now that maybe I do have some creativity. It's just not expressed itself in your traditional ways. It's not musical. It's not artistic. It's mm -hmm. more in that facilitation, you know, finding creative ways to develop experiences for people so that they can learn and, and find fulfillment. So for sure. Yeah, I, I like it. I might have to add that to my bio, Master facilitator. Yeah, well, it is because, I mean, it's, 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 it's the bridge, right, from the head to the heart. And it's the you know, it's, it's the communication. It's how do I take one message and transfer it to another? And it's even, you know, your dad's skill set, as you were saying, it's like, it's all about the presentation and making sure everything's aligned to, to maximize the experience for people. Right. So it seems to be, I don't know, it's just what's coming across. I, like I said, I, uh, you know, I, I want to make sure that that's a, I, I, it comes across as a skill set for you. Yeah, you know? no, it is. I, I think that's great. I think, I think facilitation is an underrated skill, actually, now that I think about it. I mean, a good teacher can facilitate learning. A good boss facilitates a great positive environment at work. A good nonprofit leader facilitates a uh, compassionate process in the work that, that an organization does. A good, a good podcast host facilitates a great conversation so that the listener can feel like they're part of it, right? So, um, so in a way, you're kind of a master facilitator, too. <laughs> Yeah, I'll take that. <laughs> it's like, well, what it is because I mean, a lot of what we do, right? It's it's a reflection of what we see in ourselves too, isn't it? It's that sort of, um, you know, it's the, the being an enabler. You know, that yeah. makes sense. Well, it's funny you say that a reflection as we do a, a podcast interview like this. I, I, I'm staring at my own video, right? So you kind of are. It, it really, in, in many ways, there's, there's a metaphor in there somewhere about a reflection for sure. I think that's a great point. Hmm. Mm. Tell us what's what's a bit of a guilty pleasure for you? Take out the guilt if you wish. I don't mind. Oh man! Oh Pete! Oh gosh! You're gonna take me down this road. I did say I would talk about anything. So, uh, well, a guilty pleasure for me is shoes. I love shoes. 
my there was there's a period of time there where I probably had twice as many shoes as my wife, and people would you know, give me a hard time about that. Um, but more recently, with the pandemic, I'm, I don't get out of the house as much, so my, my shoes are all sitting in the closet. Uh, so that's one of them. I also I love to eat, and my digestive issues that I've been having <laughs> aren't too good of a, a pro, you know good when you eat you know and I. I'm not, uh, like I said, I also like to exercise, so I'm not necessarily out of shape, but uh, it's also not good for the body to be poisoning itself too often. So I gotta be careful um, with my eating habits now with my uh, soft geo issues, but that's a little bit of a guilty pleasure for me. And I think that stems from liking to cook too. That's a, that's a little bit of a pastime of mine. So mm. I like to cook because when you're done, you get to eat it, so. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, those are, those are probably my biggest guilty pleasures. I think, I think I, I'm not a very, indulgent type of person other than those things you know I, I can easily give up television i could easily give up you know going out to eat i could give up all kinds of things but one thing i don't think i could ever give up is eating i mean and i don't mean like obviously we all need nutrition but i mean like going to the buffet and eating a lot of food like i just love that that's the that's my indulgence that's my addiction really is is different flavors of food i mean you never met a style of food that I didn't like, other than maybe some forms of seafood that I'm allergic to. But outside of that, I I love to eat. So, well, what's your go-to in the in the eating department? What's your your favorites? Well, so you may be able to tell by my last name. I have an Italian heritage, so I love Italian food. Uh, my family's from Sicily, so I love some good Southern Italian food. I also, well, really anything Italian food. You name it, you can. You can make anything into Parmesan, eggplant, chicken, pork, veal, whatever, I'll eat it. I love pasta. Uh, I, you know, I like to think my family has one of the best red sauces in the history of the world. So that's my thing. Uh, I'd say if it's, and I like to cook Italian food too. I also really like growing up in South Florida. I love Latin food. I love rice and beans, plantains. I think plantains are the greatest fruit in the world. Um, there's nothing that you can't, that, the only thing that you really can't do with them is just peel them and eat them. But I mean, you can bread them, you can fry them, you can boil them, you can, I put them in smoothies. Uh, I put them, uh, I stir fry them in my, my meals. There's a Mexican restaurant that we go to here in Fort Lauderdale and my wife loves this, these uh, quesadillas that have plantains in the quesadilla. <laughs> so I love me some, uh, some Latin food too. You can, they have the Maduro style, which is like the stewed sweet ones. And you have the, uh, Platanos. I mean, there's just so many different ways that you can cook those. So Italian food for me, cooking, and then I really like the Latin food, just the local flavor around here. So those are probably the two biggest things. And then a wild card, I'm going to throw another one at you. I love sushi too. I love raw fish, which there was a period of time where I, when I was a kid, my parents probably would have thought you were crazy if they told them I would eat raw fish, but now I actually really enjoy it. So. I'm, I'm going to pin you down here. Last Supper. Start last the supper, middle and oh, end. Yeah. I'm gonna go with the Italian food. I mean, if I said anything else, my grandmother would roll over in her grave. So I'm going a nice Italian meal. I'll go chicken parmesan with some pasta vajoule and some penne pasta on the side. And that would maybe some minestrone as like a little bit of an appetizer soup. And then for dessert, tiramisu cheesecake. That would be. How does that sound? Did I just make your mouth water? Or yeah, what? I'm sitting here going, it's it's quite late here, but I'm like, going, is there any Italians open or, you know, where can I go? Oh, I love it. <laughs> I love it. It's there. 
I, I, I can't go past without asking about the shoes. Why? Shoes. What about the shoes? Why shoes? You know, I don't know. I mean, I was never really into any fashion and clothes, shirts and t-shirts and clothing and haircuts. And I, I never understood people who spent like, God bless my, my uncle who's since passed on, but he owned a hair salon for you know, 30, 40 years. And would, this guy would make a killing by ladies who would come to him every week and spend hundreds of dollars on their hair and stuff. And I don't know, I never was really into that. I mean, I, you know, you got to make yourself look presentable, but you know, whatever's got, whatever color hair God's blessed you with, just that's good enough. Like it's fine with me. I, I don't have um, these problems, Bob, you know, yeah, but there you go. <laughs> it's like... uh, but so why, so, but, but with shoes, there's something about the functionality of shoes. Like, like the shirt I'm wearing doesn't really matter as long as it fits. But the shoes, whether if I'm depending on the type of sport I'm playing, or if I'm it's a formal event, or if I'm just walking, or if I'm my feet are cold and I need something around the house, like there's different functional uses for shoes. And so I really got into that when I was younger. And then, you know, then once you start really liking shoes, you start getting into different styles, and and there's something that you can customize. And then there was a a company when I was younger. I, my friend found it online. And this is back when I was in high school. So, you know, the internet was pretty early, but the company was called Customatics. And now all the shoe companies will let you do this. They even have people who do that by themselves. They're professional shoe, you know, artists and custom people. But you can go to like Nike's website or Adidas or New Balance and you can customize your shoes now. But originally Customatics was the only company that I ever knew that you could do this and you could create your own shoes. And I begged my parents. I ended up getting a couple pairs of customatic shoes. It was the coolest thing in the world. So if in my next life, maybe I'll be a shoe designer. I don't know. But I, I mean, you name it, I had pairs. And then, you know, I, I've mentioned this multiple times now, but being an athlete, I, I had a pair of baseball cleats. I had a pair of football cleats. I had a pair of track cleats. I had, you know, I had a pair of basketball shoes. So I had just, just in playing sports alone, I had numerous different pairs of, of shoes. So I don't know. I just, I, I think they're cool. I think it's how, I think they really add style to your, to what you're doing and functionality at the same time. Well, what's your, what's your favorites then? Do you have a favorite uh, pair? I have, a, so I have this pair of, well, they, they're destroyed now. They were so old and the glue on the shoes came off, but there's a, there's a certain pair of Jordans that, that, a lot of the Bulls and other NBA players would wear in, the, in the, the 50th anniversary year of the NBA. And the Bulls had this um, third jersey that they would wear. Typically, the Bulls had either a white jersey or a red jersey. But they had this third jersey that was black with red pinstripes. And red is my favorite color. And this jersey was sharp. And it had in, in the 50th anniversary year, they, 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 they had an amazing team that year, and they won the championship. And this was Michael's second run with the Bulls where he came back after retiring from going to play baseball. And they had this, the, the NBA logo patch was gold. You know, the famous NBA logo, and, and it's mm -hmm. only red, white, and blue on all the jerseys, but it's gold. And I just thought that was the sweetest jersey. And the shoes that they wore that year were really, really unique. Like a lot of, you know, a lot of shoes at that time were starting to get a little elaborate with all these colors and bells and whistles and things they were super sleek and trim there are two colors you can get them in a couple different but the original colors that you can get them in were 
were white and red, white and black, or black and red. And I think, I think Jordan wore a different one with each of those um, outfits. But anyway, the, the ones I had were the black and red ones, but they're mostly black, the red accent on the side, and they had a little bit of stitching, and they were super sleek. Those are my favorite ones ever. Uh, the, the number is, uh, which ones they were, is slipping my mind right now. But if you're listening and you love Jordans, maybe you know which ones I'm talking about. But So those are my favorite shoes I ever had. Um, but they're, they've long since been destroyed. The glue got worn out and I can't wear them anymore. I think, honestly, I think I might have even thrown the soles out before they just ripped right off. Wow. Wow. Sad. Sad. I, I'm getting emotional. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I love it. It's a bit of a passion for you. It's great. It's great to see it. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Yeah. Why not? Why not? Thomas, I mean, you know, what? what's the nicest thing somebody could say to you? Someone could say to me? Oh, man. Um, well, if you go back to that story about the indigenous community, I would say it's expressing some form of love. Uh, you know, they don't, they don't have, there in that indigenous community, they don't have a word for love. And in English, we have one word for love. But in, I don't know if you know this, and I didn't know this until recently either, but in Greek, they have like multiple words for love because there's all different kinds of love. And so I would say um, expressing that, you know, godlike un unconditional love is probably the nicest thing that someone could say to me. And I get that from my wife and my family members. That's not something that I would expect someone like you or just some acquaintance to express. I wouldn't expect that of you. But those who are the closest to me that's that's what they do and that's that that would be the, the nicest thing wow yeah remember is, is it like five i think it's five or six different types of love they talk about i can't remember it's yeah it's yeah. um gosh i can't even remember I, I can't remember them all but they all relate they all have their own english translation but hmm. but you know there's there's a there's a romantic love you know, eros, which would translate something with erotic, would translate to the English word, and then you have um, ethos, and then you, have, you know you have different types of love, and they, and which is fascinating to me. You know, to me, love is such a deep concept. So when they, when they told me that Sotil didn't have one, I was thrown. But I get it now because it's expressed mm. through action. But in reality, there are so many different types of love. That'd be something mm. to study if you're looking for something to, to be inspiring. I feel like that'd be a cool thing to look up and learn about that. So. Have you always, and well, do you, do you like yourself and do you love yourself? Yes, absolutely. I've, al I've always loved myself. I don't always like myself, to be honest with you. I, I have shortcomings. I have a temper. I have, uh, you know, lack of patience at times. This is a good question for my wife, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I definitely love myself. I mean, I'm, I'm a faithful guy. I believe strongly that I was put on this earth for a reason and I haven't given certain gifts and skills and I love them. I love myself for who I am. I, there's a reason why I have the shortcomings I do. There's a reason why I have the skills that I do. So yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm full of, in a healthy way, I don't want to sound arrogant, but I'm certainly full of self-love in a positive way. Hmm. No, I, I listen, I think it's, I think it's when you can get to a place of greater service, when you can actually, you're, you're congruent with yourself. You know, there's no gap between who you mm -hmm. are externally and who you are internally. Yeah, I yep. think that's, that's a very powerful place to be. Yeah, it's sort of, yeah, it's powerful. So tell me, I mean, if, if you were to try and describe your fire in the belly in one or two words, what would they be? In one or two words? Oh, um, well, I, 
the first thing that comes to mind is take action because we used those words earlier in the conversation. And that's what fire in the belly for me is all about doing something, right? So take mm. action. That would be my immediate first phrase that comes to mind. That's great. It's amazing how many people don't listen to me saying one or two words and come out of a whole paragraph. So it's like, it's well, you said one or two. I, I, I try to remember communication. I try to listen closely to what you say. Absolutely. I like it. You know, it's because it's amazing that my people just hear it. So like, yeah, tell me, tell me about all your, you know, listen, it's great to be. So, so tell me, I mean, where can people find out more about you, find the podcast, track you down, hunt you down, stalk you, follow you, all the rest. Give us the, give us the shout outs, the connection pieces. Yeah, you can digitally stalk me at bobdpasquale.com. And I'm on very, very active on Twitter. So, and, and Instagram. So if you want to find my social media, it's at bdepa, B-D-E-P-A, or bobdpasquale.com. And on the website, you can get links to my company. I mean, just everything is there. You can find it, bobdpasquale.com. Is there a final message you'd like to leave with the listeners? Yeah, I would say this. My final parting words are you are on the earth for a reason. You have positive gifts and skills to make a great impact in the world. Love it. Love it. Bob, I thank you for coming and sharing your gifts and skills with us today and and talking about your journey. So I thank you very much. Until the next time. Mighty Pete. Thank you so much, man. Everyone have a great time. Keep the fire in your belly. Thank you very much. Well, that was another great episode of Fire in the Belly. You know, this really wouldn't be possible without a great guest taking the time to share their personal journeys. And boy, boy, sometimes it is personal. It's an absolute pleasure to have that and then to hear the journeys that people have been on. We've loads more episodes coming up soon and it's always a pleasure to have guests on. If you do happen to know anyone with true fire in their belly, please reach out to us so we can share their journey, lessons and successes. So, all that's left to say is have a great day, live with fire in your belly, and be the mightiest version of you.